Hello and welcome to the Women's Day podcast. A quick look back at some of our highlights from the shows this week. And over the past few days, we have met a local author. We've heard how Samantha Barks felt about coming home and Howard Kane continued his month-long wild challenge. But first, we were joined by an incredible young woman this week who was introduced to us by our very own Terry Kringle. She graduated in environmental sciences. In other words, she's going to save the world. And I think she will leave the world a better place than she found it, or it found her. And I love her very much. And I think she's quite fond of me. She does say so anyway. Annie Appleton. It was just hilarious watching you there. You went between sort of being really like, oh, that's lovely, to cringing. (laughs) As your grandfather, Terry Kringle, said there, you did environmental sciences at university. Do you want to save the world? I mean, I'm I'm doing my best. <laughs> How would you describe yourself then? Um, probably as an aspiring conservationist. I'm still, I only graduated two years ago and it's quite a tough field to get into. It's a lot of volunteering, a lot of working on the side, a lot of hours, but um, I also get to travel a lot, so I definitely can't complain. I love it. Well, we'll be talking about some of those travels a little bit later and also about why you've been here in the Isle of Man for the past month or so. But... Um, You also say you are someone who is trying to experience different places, jobs and lifestyles um, from working in the Houses of Parliament Mm -hmm. to living in the forests of Malaysia. Um, I have to ask you, Annie, are you just trying to avoid normal life for as long as possible? Oh, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Good good for you. (laughs) And what sort of things are we doing in the Houses of Parliament? So I was working for my local MP um, in North East Hampshire. I basically found out from a friend who was already working for him that he was creating what's called an all-party parliamentary group, uh, which brings together MPs, lords, ministers from uh, all different parties together on an issue or even a hobby. And uh, he was making one for endangered species. So I thought this is an opportunity for me to get involved. I mean, in in the UK, we have our own endangered species, but this um, parliamentary group was specifically for ones abroad internationally. Um, and there is a lot of, of leverage that we have um, in the UK to be able to influence other countries and, and how they act and how and their laws. We, we also we sort of pressured um, sort of governments that were about to change their wildlife protection laws and things like that. So it, it, we definitely can do something to help. Uh, speaking of endangered species and your work in the parliament, we were just talking before the show there about a piece that was on BBC Breakfast this morning and it was rangers and there was a group who were saying you need to understand that there is such danger for these people who are going out there because they are essentially the one thing between the hunter and the endangered species. And so you were saying that you actually did something in parliament with regards to this. Yeah, when I was um, having the first initial discussions with uh, experts on what parliament can do to really help one of the big issues was the people that are on the ground. They're always in such risk. Um, And a lot of people do um, end up dying for these endangered species, especially rhinos and elephants, because the price of ivory is just skyrocketing, um, especially with the demand from um, Asia. Um, So they definitely need much more protection on the ground, I think. And would you put your life on the line for another species, do you think? (laughs) I think I would, uh, for sure. I mean, when I was working in Malaysia, we had to contend with poachers for turtle eggs quite a lot of the time. But um, in in somewhere like like Africa, where a lot of um, the rangers do get get killed, unfortunately, um, I personally wouldn't put myself in that position, but not because of my own safety, because I think that 
we need to involve local communities and get them to be rangers um, and get them to really understand why we need to help these species and then it will the if you implement this kind of ground sort of grassroots policy that's definitely where you make a real change been over for the past month or so annie what have you been doing over here so i've been working uh with manx whale and dolphin watch uh for the past sort of month five weeks um as a researcher and outreach assistant just for the summer there's three of us that have come over to volunteer and help out because it's the busiest time to see whales and dolphins and porpoises around the isle of man and what sort of things have you found since you've been here um, every time we've been out serving, we've seen porpoises, which I understand some people don't find quite as exciting. They but are exciting. I think they're incredibly You were almost so excited you couldn't speak there. I know, <laughs> I was a bit... So, I almost think they're a myth because so many people I know have had really? wonderful experiences seeing oh, porpoises off head, the Isle of Man. I've never seen one. Head down to the Sound, come and join us on one of our surveys. Yes! But we've also <laughs> seen Risso's dolphins, minke whales. We saw a basking shark when we were out the other day in Niobel. We've seen loads. And what would you say the Manx attitude towards conservation is in your experience? I find Manx people incredibly charitable. Um, But I think a lot of people don't realise the amount of species that are around the Isle of Man. A lot of people, we're in Peel Day on Sunday, and a lot of people came up to the stand and said, we have whales and dolphins. I didn't even realise this. And what would you say could be the one thing that we could all do as as a sort of a population, if you like, to actually fundamentally make a difference there are so many just little things people see problems with the environment and wildlife and conservation and they think that they can do nothing that one person is is pointless like their actions can't do anything but if everyone actually thought if if i do one thing if i if i don't eat meat for one day of the week then that would be amazing that would make a huge difference like the not eating meat for what one day of the week the amount of pollution you'd say the amount of pesticides and fertilizers that wouldn't end up in water systems would be huge it would make a massive difference can i ask you because i know there's, there's this um statistic that's out there isn't there that 95 uh, percent of the underwater realm as such is as yet undiscovered mm-hmm. does that mean there's like some massive monsters in the sea that we've not found yet <laughs> i hope so i think that'd be exciting <laughs> We always ask people who join us on the show to send us um, some details about themselves so we kind of know what we're going to talk about. And today's guest opened with the line, musical theatre queen for as long as I can remember. That was some line, Sean Sterling. <laughs> well, it's I true. loved it. Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to take you back because this music, uh, well, it sort of started something for you, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Swear that till then you'll be true to me. That's great. I had a slight panic then that maybe you had no idea what it no. was, but uh, tell yeah. me about this tune. Well, that's tune. the Pirates of Penzance. That's, that's uh, um, Rex Smith in Pirates of Penzance, and he's just about to do this great Elvis impersonation as well. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm 11, 12, 13, something like that. Everybody else is listening to the radio, and I'm, I'm listening to the Pirates of Penzance by Gilbert and Sullivan, or uh, the, the Music Man with Robert Preston. He's so suave, and he played a con man. And, and yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, musical theater queen since pre-puberty. <laughs> um, was it something you grew up with as a family tradition? No, are you kidding? Blue collar working class southwestern pencil tucky they didn't know what theater was <laughs> and so i have no that's so it, it you know i don't know it wasn't nurture so somewhere in there is the musical theater gene <laughs> well we'll be talking more about that later because mm. you are actually in the middle of writing musical can't wait to find out more about that 
But we are so used on this programme to talking about the notion of a woman in a man's world. But when you did your degree at university, you were actually one of the first male students to be there. It had been an all-female university. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, it was a women's... Actually, at that point, it was a women's college. And the state's uh, college and university are sort of um, synonymous. Um, so it was a women's college. Uh, the long boring story, short boring story will make it. Um, there was a brother and sister school and all of the arts were on the sister school campus. So I enrolled in the brother school but took all my classes on the sister school campus and one day somebody decided, well you're here every day anyway. Why don't we matriculate you into the arts program but we'll keep our identity as a women's college. So myself and five other guys were the first first six 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 guys at Seton Hill College at that point. It's now a university. It's gone co-ed. But when I was there, I I was boldly going where no man had gone before. Wow. Did you did you start up your, your own fraternity then? <laughs> yes. Well, there was six of us and we had a whole floor. We had these gigantic rooms. We, we, we were both admired and reviled. Um, <laughs> Because we got so many sort of uh, special things because there were just so few of us. Um, you know, these gigantic rooms, a floor all to ourselves. The volleyball team really disliked me because the women who served the lunches in the canteen, you know, they, I was just another son to them. So they piled the food onto the plate and the volleyball team was furious. <laughs> So, Sean, when did you decide what you wanted to do as a career? And and crucially, I suppose, given your upbringing and, and you saying that there wasn't any, you know, it wasn't nurture in mm. a way, what was the reaction? Um, fear. <laughs> what are you going to do? How are you going to live? How are you going to make money? Yeah, it was, uh, they, my, folks were really worried about me and didn't, and because there was no experience of that, the, the, they, the, because they didn't understand what it was or that there was a, the possibility of a career in it. Um, but, you know, I, di I, I did well for myself. I, uh, I, I went to drama school. I went to uni for drama. I went, got a master's degree at New York University, one of the best drama schools in the country. Um, and from there, I just pretty much worked job to job. And um, I landed a pretty good gig early on. Yeah, you're shaking which your was? head. Yeah, which was um, Blue Man Group. And you played the one on the right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they're anonymous characters. You just you look up on the stage and there's the one on the left, the one in the middle, the one on the right. And I was the one on the right. For anyone who hasn't seen or heard of the Blue Man Group, tell us about them. They are a, um, it's, oh, golly, it really defies description. I mean, I could, I could talk about the art, the arts commentary that's in the show. It's, there's lots of music, you know, rock music in the show, but the instruments being played are interesting and bizarre. There's an electric zither. The characters, I played PVC pipe, the light with the length of the pipe being deter determining the tone when you slap. There was something we called the drum bone, which was one fella drumming this pipe where you could extend or contract the length of it to change the so you could play an entire uh, tune with that. Um, and then the, the characters themselves were sort of these alien clowns. I mean, that's where I excelled because it was a lot of silent, clownish comedy in it as well. We got to, you know, play with our food, throw paint around. It was a blast. Toilet rolls. Yes, toilet yes, rolls. Yes, I've been covered in toilet rolls by you. The entire Very weird. audience ends up dancing on their feet covered in toilet rolls and a few in the front row with banana. Do you know what? The, the video 
for after the show today is, is just playing out in my mind as we speak, Christy. Oh, banana and toilet roll. <laughs> well, I'm telling you. Just talk to me about theatre then. I mean, obviously it's something that you're hugely passionate about. I just wonder what you think the public appetite for theatre is nowadays in a time where, you know, people haven't actually got that much time to mm. sit down and, and watch a, a full performance and wouldn't naturally necessarily make it part of their everyday routine anymore. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And sadly, I think... Um, I think the number of screens that are in our lives now is is taking away um, the 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 opportunity or even the desire for theater in in most people. I mean, in Shakespeare's day, in Elizabethan times, the theater was the entertainment. But now we've got so so many options. Um, I think it's I think it it can even be rare for someone to to want to see a play, which is kind of sad because it, it's in the theater that you get that that ex that that person to person experience you're living and breathing the same space as the performance that's going on in front of you uh, it's it's it can be magical in a way that a film can't do you know what that's interesting because i wonder if that might all change this very week because harry potter opens at the theater ah. And with that, with something like that, you think, because it is so attractive to so many people across the world and it's apparently sold out for a long time. I wonder if that will change people's perception because it is a play, not a musical. It will certainly bring young people to the theatre in a way that um, perhaps they haven't they haven't been brought before. I mean, they, they, that's what her novels did, right? It got a whole generation mm -hmm. and then some of, of, of young people reading uh, brought that to the fore. And now they're going to be going to the theatre. I'm delighted. Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. I've just finished filming uh, a few weeks ago in Prague. I did a film called Interlude in Prague about Mozart. And so this is now the perfect opportunity to have that time to focus on the tour and focus on the album and the music, which has been great. And um, But yeah, my goal is definitely to have everything running alongside each other in a way that complements the other you know so i think it's it's a it's a good time for me to be able to do it and as we say you are coming back to the isle of man are you excited yeah. i'm so excited and to be back on the gaiety stage i'll probably just be crying from the very start of the concert because it's where i grew up all my sort of time spare time my happiest times of growing up were at the gaiety theater i've got this sort of this complete bias because every time i go to a theater that's beautiful Anywhere else, I'm like, well, it's not as good as the Gaiety Theatre because <laughs> I just hold it so close to me. So it's really special to be there. And it's a very different life that you lead now from, you know, sort of being a young girl on the Isle of Man and, and now you are proper famous, Sam. And I just wonder, uh, how, I how is it that you, you are coping with dealing with things like the tabloids? Because they can be awful, can't they? They do have a tendency to go, I know, we'll take your private life, we'll speculate on it, create a load of rumours yeah. and shove it in our papers. How yeah. do you deal with that? <laughs> Um, I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing, of course, but it's a, it's something that comes along with the job. And I think I'm very, very lucky to get to do this as a job. It's like I said, I spent years and years doing it, and it was my hobby, my fun thing to do. And now it's like I get to, I get to do it as a job, so I can't complain at all. I think, and that is just something that comes along with it. I think if you stress about it too much it sort of can take over so I think you just have to take it with a pinch of salt and sort of forget about it even though it's it's strange that anyone would would want to know that but obviously there is nice forms of it and not so nice forms of it 
So I just think continue with your life as if that doesn't happen and doesn't exist. Don't take it seriously. You're brilliantly grounded. This is good to know. Oh, um, thank you. You surprised a lot of people uh, when you were out there getting properly stuck in on Mission Survive. Um, it was bonkers some of the stuff you had to do. I just wonder what were some of the best and worst things about the programme. And also, actually, do, do you think you had a, a slightly different take on it from having grown up on an island yourself? Yeah, I think the well, the good was getting to do all those physical challenges that I never in a million years thought I would be able to do because I don't think of myself as sort of very, very strong. And so that was amazing because I think that's something that I would pay to do, you know, go and do like an adventure weekend. That's the kind of thing I love yeah. and it'd be really fun to do. The worst part was just like eating weird stuff and all of that kind of thing because obviously <laughs> it's yeah. not, not the dream. <laughs> I think also, yeah, but growing up in the Arman, it's it's so, so beautiful outdoors. You're kind of always running around on the beach and, and being outdoors. So I think that you, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just about going for it. It's definitely about going for it and just throwing yourself into it and not thinking, not second-guessing yourself and going, oh, I probably can't do that. Just go for it because the fear actually makes it a lot harder. One last thing before we get the details of the tour and everything as well. Obviously, we can't go by without mentioning Les Mis. And I'm just, from the angle of, I'm curious that a lot of your co-stars they weren't necessarily known for their singing prowess in advance some of them um, and I wondered you being someone who sort of trained as a singer did you find yourself sort of having to give any of them sort of hints and tips as you went through filming no I definitely didn't give anyone <laughs> hints or tips because I respect them far too much to even think my opinion would be valid there but I think what was a nice thing was that obviously that cast of people who I admire massively from their amazing careers they've all had but there were situations where you know, look at Eddie, who's someone I really respect as an actor, but he'd never really sung publicly before. So he was completely petrified. Some people had done lots of movies and never really done musicals before. So everyone kind of come, came from a, a different fear, <laughs> an yeah. aspect of fear, because they were, that was something they'd never done. Obviously, I'd never even done a film before. So I think it was a kind of good leveller. Um, because everyone was on the page, on the same page, going, we don't know what we're doing, but let's have fun <laughs> getting there and and having that process. And also, the whole live recording aspect had not been done on that level before, so everyone was kind of trying something out and really throwing themselves in there and not going, I know everything. It was a nice, it was a nice way of everybody being on the same page again. Let's let's try this, let's try that, or don't try that. <laughs> and probably it sounds like there'd be lots of opportunities for bonding in that sort of situation as well. Absolutely, because we'd all be asking each other things about, I don't know, the earpieces and how do you find that and what did you do in that situation? Because we were all having the same challenges over and over again in different scenes because all you can hear is the piano in your earpiece and it's sort of being in time with everybody and that kind of thing. So it was something we were all learning together, which is amazing because you look at those kind of actors and you think, surely they'd just breeze on to set and it would be so easy for them. But seeing how nervous they were was a really cool thing because they were really passionate. There's a pressure with something like Les Mis because people love, love, love the musical and love the yeah. characters. So you're sort of taking that on and it's the best pressure to have ever to get to play Eponine, but you want to, to do it right. You want to be respectful to the role and, you know, and, and respectful to all the amazing actors who've played it before you. And it must have been the best rap party experience ever to sing at the Oscars all together on that stage. <laughs> it was amazing. And that was a moment I'll never forget. We all got together in one of the dressing rooms and we all just sort of had this amazing moment of going, whatever, whatever happens, think of this as the most amazing sort of farewell. Normally, I, th 
I can't imagine me not having some kind of panic attack singing at the Oscars or something. That's such a huge thing. But there was something very calming about the fact that we were all in it together and we were all just going out there as, as a farewell to this amazing experience we'd all had. Go wild this June. The Manx Wildlife Trust challenges you to take the 30 days wild challenge. After all, if Howard can do it, anyone can. Right, well, here we are, day one of the 30-day wild challenge. And uh, we're going to tow the water quite gently to start off this little challenge, quite literally, as it happens, as we've come down to the beach, because one thing that's been suggested is just go and experience getting your feet wet. And we've headed over west, as you can probably tell, we're not a million miles away from the uh, the beach. I'm just going to take my shoes off, if I can do that without falling off the wall, and uh, come out west to meet up with Pashala from the Wildlife Trust. Now, this is uh, is this one of your challenges as well? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, trying to just find little ways to incorporate nature into every day and like most people I work every day so luckily since we're based in Peel it's not too difficult to walk down to the bay just for a short break or even for lunch to get out and feel the sand between your toes or try and see seabirds flying by. And this is what it's all about really isn't it? It's, it's, you don't have to do anything exotic in this challenge it's, it's just a case of making people think about the environment where they live and perhaps just do a bit of interacting with it rather than sticking in the office all day and then going home or whatever to actually get out and do something well a bit wild a bit different just get out there and experience the place yes exactly you got the right idea it's really just to encourage people to get out and do as little or as much as you can even if it's just having your coffee outside in the garden rather than inside the house or switching to using reusable bags rather than plastic carrier bags or drinking your coffee out of a reusable cup. Anything that you can do to try and get in touch with nature and fortunately on the Isle of Man there's so many natural places all around they're not hard to find. And here we are coming down to the uh, seafront so um, yeah you've been swimming the sea this year yet? Not yet. I'm relatively new to the island. I come from Texas so I'm used to a little bit warmer water, but it's definitely on my bucket list. <laughs> bucket and spade list. Okay, after, after you. Oh, oh that's cold. Is this as warm as you expect? Oh. <laughs> um, I'd say... It's not too bad. It's, it's okay. not too bad. It's I'd say ankle deep is my limit, but yeah, mine it's too. definitely refreshing. <laughs> and I forgot to put my shorts on. Damn. Well, there you go. There's one thing you can do. It's the perfect weather for doing it at this time of the year. I'd recommend shorts though, as my trousers are now. <laughs> Soaking wet. But I tell you what, it's not actually that bad realistically. But yeah, put your shorts on first. Get out there and do something wild. 30 Days Wild with Manx Radio and the Manx Wildlife Trust. Can you go wild for a month? 
And our studio guest this afternoon is originally from Denmark. She's lived in Brussels, the Middle East and London before moving over here in 2011. Michelle Tonneson is a businesswoman and she's a writer. Her first novel, The Cosmopolitan Islander, is out now. It centres on a woman called Chloe who's forced to leave London to move to the Isle of Man facing a host of challenges that such upheaval presents, how she'll adapt, will she find new friends, what about her career, and will her relationship with her husband survive? Well, Michelle is with us and is going to now read an extract from her novel. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, And I will just dive straight into it. Now you've got us our coffee, you pretty ladies can leave the men to do the talking. The beauty can leave the room to the brains, right? The client guffawed and looked around at Chloe's male colleagues. Chloe glanced at her more senior female colleague Ursula, then at the male partner at the head of the table who had conveniently averted his eyes, examining his hard copy of the presentation which Chloe had toiled till the last minute to finalise. Chloe instinctively opened her mouth to formulate an eloquent and justified protest. Just as Ursula got up from the table and put her hand briefly on Chloe's shoulder, the two women left the room, one of them clearly more shocked than the other. Did that really just happen? Chloe asked Ursula. Why did you not say anything? Ursula shrugged. Mr. Watson doesn't like assertive women. Can't be seen to boss him around, especially not in front of a client. Really? Chloe was stunned and lost for words. That is her only argument. How could she be so calm and matter-of-fact when the situation was clearly outrageous and everyone in the room, bar the obviously imbecile client, were fully aware of it? Michelle Tonneson, I have to ask you, given that you have lived in various places around the world and we know that your central character in this novel, Chloe, has just moved to the Isle of Man from London, is this an autobiography in disguise? It is not an autobiography. It is very much drawing upon my own experiences. Um, Obviously, as a young woman um, trying to build a career, uh, firstly in in Denmark, uh, but struggling even more once I got to the slightly more hierarchical culture uh, in London, Um, and especially in a very cutthroat, male-dominated environment. Um, And obviously, my experiences with moving to the island, um, the challenges of relocating, and especially to a small place, yes, that's all in there. But that said, it, it is fiction and, and the, the, it's, there's a sense of hyper-realism and exaggeration to make it more fun and, and appealing to the reader. Very often in the front of books, um, there is a disclaimer saying that any likeness to any characters or, or people that you might know is, is purely coincidental. We live in a very small place, Michelle. There must be people who feel, um, having read your novel, that they can identify um, with some of the characters, that they see themselves in them, perhaps? Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, I I was very flattered that a lot of women came up to me and said, this is so me. Uh, this is the, the, the struggle. These are the struggles that I went through coming to the island. And, and, uh, and even, you know, w- women who are in their 40s or 50s saying, I went exactly through this when I was trying to build my career. Um, so, so yes, in that sense, uh, I hope, you know, most women can see themselves in, in the characters. How long does it take you to write? So life has this funny way of throwing you curveballs and, and challenges uh, and, and adventures. So I set out with the goal uh, and given my, my line of work, I, I try and stick to deadlines quite strictly. Uh, but um, I went from a goal of one year 
to spending three and a half years or so, uh, having you know a baby and several contracts and things like that along the way that uh, I just embraced and I just had to go with it. But um, yeah, it makes it even more gratifying when you've spent nearly four years. <laughs> How can you concentrate when you've got two little ones around you? Um, so I uh, have to obviously wait until I have some kind of childcare. Uh, my son goes to school, so that you know solves one problem. Uh, but but the little one, obviously, I have to write on the days where she's uh, taken care of by someone else. Um, so I do not have the luxury of waiting for the muses uh, to descend upon me. You haven't got a notebook with you now, have you? Not I, scribbling down things. Uh, I'm always scribbling really? down things. Or, or, yes. or, or that's a bit frightening. She we might are, be basing some characters on us, Beth. You right. never know. Uh, you're listening to Women Today on Manx Radio FM, 21 minutes to three. The 2016 Glastonbury Festival has announced its first ever women-only venue. It's going to be called The Sisterhood. It's been described by the organisers as a revolutionary clubhouse open to all people who identify as women and will be an intersectional, queer, trans and disability inclusive space. Now, it's going to be staffed entirely by people who identify as female. That's from performers to security staff. And in a statement, the venue's organisers have said the producers of the sisterhood believe that women-only spaces are necessary in a world that is still run and designed to benefit mainly men. Oppression against women continues in various manifestations around the world today in different cultural contexts. Uh, but we want to know what you think of this one. Is it fair on male festival goers? One double six, one double seven, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. Uh, for or against this one, Christy? I, I just think this is another example of... Um, women almost taking it too far because I think it's kind of like saying no 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 we must have our own space I think that gives actually a bad impression of us because especially something like Glastonbury is already incredibly inclusive Glastonbury you know like over the years it is the festival that has had um, an image of being a reputation as being very liberal and free thinking and a, a very accepting crowd dare I call them hippies you know over the years I suppose so uh, of all the festivals I think it's the one that does that and it, I don't know I, I wouldn't have said it's the one that needed to make a point like this and I worry that in doing so it might actually alienate or aggravate people unnecessarily. Annie? That's that's interesting, that's actually the exact same point one of my colleagues Lydia had this morning when she first heard um, about the news Um, I do think it's it's more of a reaction to all of the kind of violence against women but it does absolutely nothing to solve any of the underlying problems as well and uh, my first thought was actually well, how do you? What if a bunch of lads comes in and says, "I actually identify as a woman, so uh, can I come in and join you guys?" That's interesting. So you think it could potentially be open to abuse in I some ways? I think it definitely could. Because when when do you say no? Yeah, and I think again, it's just sort of it's almost saying, "Oh, you people that come to our, you men that come to our festivals, you mm. don't understand." And again, that's just not fair on the people that go there to say, "Well, you, we need our own space because." And what does that mean anyway? Is that like saying, "Well, women don't like being around men, so we need our own space?" I don't know. I just think I just think there's an awful lot about it that could backfire. Um, we've had a really good reaction um, on Facebook about this. Uh, Chris says, "If there was a men-only area, people would lose their minds. This isn't equality; it's marketing and manipulation." Gary says, "Segregation? What on earth?" And Laura says, mm, "I'm a bit torn on this one. I'm all for equality. I really don't like the segregation thing, but male-only pubs are still a thing, and we have female-only gyms. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty inclusive in that anyone who identifies as a woman will be welcome. But sadly, I think we're still a long way way off genuine equality, and have a long history of chauvinistic attitude to undo for the next generations." 
It can't happen overnight. So in the meantime, if we get an amazing sounding party venue when the boys can't join in, so be it. It does sound ace. Now, interestingly, Laura, I do know um, she's a, she goes to a lot of festivals and is actually going to Glastonbury this year. So I've asked her to go to that area in particular and record a little piece for us as a roving reporter and she's going to. It is 17 minutes to three and our studio guest this afternoon is Bob Rag. He was a member of what's been described as Britain's first boy band, the Dallas Boys. And Bob's been back in the spotlight recently because he wrote a song for the England team's 1982 bid for the World Cup. And every single one of us remembers when And it was recorded with some very special people. Who were they, Bob? It was the England World Cup 66 team, Bobby Moore's team. They were, uh, do you want me to tell you what happened? We were, we were all in near Leicester doing a promo tour and I was recording in the studio at the time. This was in 1982. And I thought it'd be a good idea to get the band, the, the boys in, record a song that I wrote for the 1982 team, Kevin Keegan's team going out to Spain. And they were, we got them in the studio. I wrote a song overnight, whipped them in the studio taught them a song, taught them the words, I even taught little Alan Ball how to sing a harmony. And he was chuffed about that. And um, it came out well and we thought, great, the boys, and then they had to go off again for another promotion. And we sent it down to EMI and they over the moon when it flipped and said, oh, it's great, we released that. And the next day the Falklands War broke out. So EMI said, I'm sorry, it's it just, it doesn't seem right to, yeah, it says inappropriate now to release the song. And uh, so that was it. But how did you even know at that point? You just grabbed him in the studio and said, come and do this thing. You didn't know if any of them could hold a note. Well, <laughs> but I mean, normally, I mean, it's a footballing song. So, uh, but little Alan Ball, that part, yeah, that's, that's Alan Ball singing the top harmony. It's just the third above the melody. Anyway, when, when I told it, told it, he said, I've got that, Bob. And he sang it. And he was chuffed. You know, he said, oh, he sounded all right, that, didn't oh. <laughs> so And he... we tracked them, of course, you know. Here we are then, 34 years later. Mm. Why, well, what got you thinking about this track again? Well, I was sit- sitting at home in Laxey and I read the, the Express. And there was an article on there about the 66 World Cup team should all be knighted because they did such a good job and never had any problems with them. But half of them now have gone, and half of them have got Alzheimer's. So I said to Sheila, I said, that video we did and that record we did, it, we've got it somewhere in the, on the shelf. And we sorted, we quickly went through it. took us about half an hour to find it. We were diving in all corners of the room, and we found it, and we put the video on, and we looked at each other, and we said, oh, that's incredible, that. It's, it's so emotional when you see all these guys and I thought Alzheimer's wouldn't it be great to get that off and get the money towards the Alzheimer's research and I contacted a friend of mine who's a promoter in Blackpool who's on the internet he understands internet which I don't and uh, he said great idea great video and a great single let's put the two together and and sell them so uh, they are on Amazon now for a fiver for the two you get the video and the double-sided record so all the money is going to go to Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's UK yeah. research and, yeah. and what you really want Bob is a retailer here on the island we to take hold of this we would love to have a big retail shop we'd, say, we'd sell them for us um, because it would just help and the, the boys need it now because uh, heading that big heavy football in the 60s and 50s and, and most of them are going down with Alzheimer's now I'm sure it's heading that wet football 
must have been head, heading a cannonball, really. So it'd be lovely to, to get a bit back for the, for the lads and, and get them looking at it uh, into research of it all, you know. We were there, we were there, back in 1966. We were there, we were there, we are the team our friends he picked. Nobby Styles was at the back, he was there to send you good wishes and all the best to you. Remember, England, when you play the game, play it fair, because you know ever thank you so much for downloading the women today podcast do keep up to date with what we're doing by following and liking the women today facebook page we're on twitter as well it's at mr women today and if you would like to introduce us to a guest or get us talking about something do let us know women today at manxradio.com if you want to drop us an email and as ever do join us every weekday just after two o'clock until next time then goodbye <laughs>